This is the Cloud Security Today podcast, where leaders learn how to get cloud security done. And now your host, Matt Chiodi. How awesome is it that we are able to get Chad Lawrence from Amazon Web Services on the podcast? It's awesome when you get to speak to someone who is actually in living in the giant that we all know as AWS. And I thought we would take this opportunity because it was interesting. Back at Reinforce in 2022, Chad gave a talk on crawl, walk, run, accelerating security maturity. And I really wanted to dig into that talk because I know a lot of you are not able to be at Reinforce. And so as usual, I start off with a little bit of his background, but really dig into his role and how he helps customers on AWS become more secure. I hope you enjoy the show. Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, so let, let's just uh, let's jump right in. I'm I've I've never worked for AWS, but I have worked around the AWS ecosystem for the better part of a decade. Um, I'm super interested in just how things work. So let's just start right at the top. Tell us a little bit about your role at AWS and. Maybe color that a little bit with, if you think over the last six months or the last year, what are you most proud of? Okay. Yeah. You know, I've been at uh, AWS over two years now, so I have had a couple roles. I actually came in as a senior consultant, so I had an opportunity to work directly with customers as a builder. Uh, and then I transitioned into a manager role, which was kind of my goal all along coming into AWS. Uh, right now, I am managing 29 people, uh, oh but that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that is actually probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. Uh, I, I've managed some offshore teams that I really enjoyed managing, so I knew I enjoyed managing, but uh, just the quality of people and the opportunities and the culture here to be builders and innovators, uh, just really exciting where you know, they, they slice us out of your time to, to dive deep and play within kind of our free sandbox that we have, which is probably our, our least publicized, most valuable um, employment opportunity is kind of an unlimited sandbox for, for consultants to build in. That's pretty uh, awesome. So we've gotten to build a lot of really cool things as a team. And that's, that's probably some of the most fun things I've done. Um, probably my most proud thing, I really enjoyed speaking at Reinforce and some of the opportunities that AWS gave through that. So uh, lots of lots of really fun, exciting opportunities, kind of throwback to the old days when when the old guys would talk about how cool HP was or, or if really, really old, back to the IBM days, right, when they were innovators and getting to be part of a culture like that is super fun. So what's your, what is your role now? Like, what are you focused on? You mentioned that, um, you, you, you're, you do consulting, you're now managing. What is your team focused on doing, uh, at AWS? Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, we are part of the commercial, uh, professional services team, uh, for the U S West. So I manage all the U S West region and our focus really is removing security blockers for the cloud. Uh, we do that through mostly collaboration with security teams and trying to help upskill them or accelerate them so that they can have a, a confidence to move their production workloads in. That's a, that's a huge challenge, which I, I will be asking a little bit about later on, but I want to dig a little bit more into your background because I think 
there's a, a lot of people who want to get into cloud. They want to get into cloud security. <clears throat> and I noticed that before coming to AWS, you were at a company uh, called Keysight uh, for about six years before joining mm -hmm. AWS. So maybe take us back a little bit. Like, what was it that actually led you to want to join AWS? And what was that? What was that transition like from? Uh, I don't know a lot about Keysight. Maybe just thirty seconds on Keysight, and then tell us about what led you to joining and what was that transition like. Yeah, it's it's kind of been a fun uh, secular journey. <laughs> I started uh, consulting with HP on their Cisco split off of a company called Agilent. Um, so HP, when they bought Compaq, spun out all their kind of life sciences type uh, workloads, and so moved out with this life science and testing business. Uh, the life sciences took off. And so after about six years with Agilent, I kind of left, I left Cisco and worked for, went to work for Agilent. And then about six years into my Agilent career, they said, hey, we're thinking about spinning off a company that will be a Fortune 600 level company out of mm -hmm. the gate. And we're going to break off the life sciences from that test and measurement. Um, so test and measurement, lots of geeky stuff like testing your USB port or testing your iPhone for if it's radiating your brain or, you know, testing uh, radio signals for the government so that you can help uh, do warfare, anti-warfare kind of stuff. So whole range of spectrum, spectrum, but all test and measurement at Keysight. And it was a really cool company. Uh, I, I would say some of our IoT pieces that I was helping secure uh, drove me into the cloud. Uh, as we were starting to move more and more data out to the cloud uh, and then bought a really cool company called Ixia Breaking Point who had a lot of stuff in in the cloud. And so that was that was kind of my journey. Uh, believe it or not, I also started in the cloud. I built my own cloud back in the day when we called it ASP. Mm. Right? So I, I built a, an ISP and did uh, EMC storage and security out of the cloud using uh, ConfigureSoft, who is now part of the VMware platform for some of their security management. So yeah, it kind of came full cycle, but always been interested in that that scope and scale of the cloud and really wanted to figure out how to get deeper into that, uh, but was in a limited role. Uh, like I think a lot of our customers find themselves in a lot of security practitioners where if clouds is kind of this big overwhelming thing and you're trying to figure out, wow, oh, how do I get my hands around this and do all the day-to-day -day activities, right? That you're trying to pull off as a security professional or in my case, a security architect overseeing all the new things that we're rolling out. So what, what actually led you to join AWS and what was that, what was that transition like? AWS is known as being a um, very kind of result oriented, very driven company. So what was that, what was that transition like and what led you to join AWS? You know, it was honestly um, some of the leadership principles. I, I was interviewing for CISO director level positions. Uh, AWS actually reached out to me and I thought, well, you know, it's AWS. You got to at least try. Yeah. Uh, I knew I was really interested in the cloud from some of the things I'd done in Keysight and wanted to, to fully get into that. Um, and in the interview process, just really realized that their culture of diving deep and deliver results and invent and simplify really fit with how I actually defined myself. And mm. I said, oh, this might, this might be a fit, right? For a, a person that likes to 
likes to drive fast and do cutting edge technology and those kind of things. So, um, as a result of that interview process, I, I did talk to one of my mentors who, who was my boss at the time and had come in from a CISO role from a big uh, credit card company. And, and so had an opportunity to kind of grow in place and wrap my head around the cloud in a way that I hadn't had an opportunity before. That's awesome. So uh, let me, let me, I want to pull something up. I always stalk my guests before, before shows. And I noticed that on LinkedIn, there was a post you had back in uh, January of, of 2023. And you, I just found something interesting that you said about in terms of what Amazon looks for when hiring, at least for your team. What you, you said this, quote, a secret about my division in AWS, we do not hire for cloud skills. So unpack that for us. Uh, how is that? How is it possible that the leader in cloud does not require cloud skills, at least for your team? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And like I said, I, I think it's it's a secret that uh, most people disqualify themselves. Mm. Um, and the reason really is, if you look at the the quote I put in there from Jeff Bezos, that there's uh, no way to uh, there's no algorithm for compressing security experience, right? <laughs> you can't you can't just gain experience out the door. And what what we found is a security practitioner can pretty easily learn a new technology. I think more than any other person in IT, as security practitioners, we're required to dive deep into a new technology, figure the ins and outs, and then secure it. Uh, and so that mentality really serves security people well. So when you come to the cloud, when you have a focused time to just focus on one security element, it's pretty easy to upscale you on security. However, if you teach somebody a bunch of cloud security skills and they don't have the security element, we found a gap because the reality is um, no matter which side of the table I sat on, whether I was the VAR or whether I was the customer, I realized very quickly that people aren't looking for a product expert. They're looking for a security expert that can identify opportunities with their product, right? And so really shifting to what the customer was working looking for and working backwards from that, which is bring me some security professionals that can help me understand how to take my security paradigm that I'm living in now and bring that into the cloud. One of the biggest questions that I, I often get from my, my clients at uh, IAN's research, maybe those that are new to the cloud or are finally catching up with their development teams who've been in the cloud for sometimes multiple years is, you know, where do I start when attempting to secure the cloud. And sometimes I'm surprised with um, the question, the company that it's coming from, because I was like, wow, I'd have thought you would have been on this, right? For some, you know, maybe years at this point. Uh, sometimes it's sometimes it's coming from a more, you know, heavily regulated industry, which explains why they're sometimes slower to adopt than others. Yeah, but well. um, I'm curious, I'm sure this is a question that you get probably daily, but you know, how do you, how do you answer that question? Where do I start when attempting to secure the cloud? Yeah, I, it still goes back to some of the basics, right? Is understanding why are you trying to get into the cloud, right? What are you trying to accomplish? And so there is a, a certain amount of a, a plan where you understand that as a security person, you're trying to align to your business and why they're getting to the cloud. Uh, with that, helps you understand maybe what you're trying to accomplish as a security professional, right? And, and there's a number of different angles you can take from compliance to driving down risk. And 
uh, you can kind of talk through those different maturity models. But the first point is to just really understand where your business is coming from. But as soon as you understand where you're coming from, you're going to want to do an assessment, right? And set a baseline. So you may be assessing against a compliance standard. You may be assessing against the best practice. Um, you may be assessing just against your controls on site to figure out uh, what you have in the cloud currently. And so that first assessment where you can set a baseline is really the key because otherwise it's, it's this big ambiguous thing you can't tackle. The reason I suggest assessment is until you assess, it's pretty hard to know where your pain points are and where you want to start, right? You, I do know I can kind of talk through the journey. You're going to go in and you're going to do an assessment and you're going to go, wow, there's no centralized control. What am hmm. I supposed to do? And then all of a sudden talking about control tower and service control policies and how you, how you build a paradigm where you have a central management structure makes sense. But sometimes hmm. you kind of have to get in there and assess it and go, oh, it's like a million accounts all over the place. What am I supposed to do yeah. with this before right. you understand the value of some of that? So, you know, we kind of, we, we see customers go through that, that maturity as they go, okay, I need some central control and I need some monitoring. Oh, I'm going to need an IRT plan. I'm going to need vulnerability management. You know, and you, they kind of go through a pretty natural progression we find, uh, but you can't drag somebody through the process, right? They, mm. they kind of have to assess it themselves, wrap their brain around, Hey, what are my pain points and gaps? And then start coming in with answers. Otherwise it, again, it just looks like you're a vendor throwing tools at somebody and that doesn't really help anybody. Right. We, we get enough of that in our industry. Is there, you know, one of the things I've pointed people to is just, you know, there seems to be at least at this point, a number of frameworks that are out there. Is there one or two that, that you, you know, or maybe AWS has their own, where do you typically point people to? So if let's say they say, well, I'm not ready for an assessment yet. I want to be able to do my own kind of my own assessment. Like, but I, I'm not sure where to bench, where to benchmark it off of. Yeah. Is there something that's go-to for you? Yeah. So I, I definitely recommend, um, AWS fundamentals, best practice. Um, because that's continuously updated. It's it's the most current one usually. Uh, from a tool standpoint, though, I, I would recommend Prowler. It's free. It's a quick, easy way to do assessment. There's a number of tools out there. Um, we find Prowler to be one of the easier ones. Um, and then if you want to ramp it up, it's, it's got some nice options for ramping up. Uh, but that's actually how we assess. Even as professional services, we're going to come in and we're going to ask to run Prowler. Um, it gives you a good baseline before you start pulling into native services, uh, where we can do a lot of baselining. But, um, if you're kind of looking for that snapshot assessment, Prowler is probably where I would start. So I was looking, it looks like you, and you mentioned that reinforced was one of your highlights from the last, mm -hmm. uh, last couple of months. Uh, I was looking at your talk, uh, from 2022 that you gave, and it was called crawl, walk, run, accelerating security maturity. So building off your, your previous answer on where to start, how can security teams move from like the tactical low hanging fruit type things like enabling 2FA to knowing where they actually sit from a maturity perspective? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I, I think too often, um, you know, there's kind of two standpoints. You got some people that want to say, give me a roadmap and I'll just build it. Right. Right. Uh, and then there's other people that say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep on blocking and tackling until I get there. And 
there can be a case for either way to get to security maturity. You know, I, I the crawl rough walk run was me looking at my small kids, you know, and you, <laughs> you got one that, that falls out of mom and starts running and he's slamming into the walls. And then you got the other one that will worm and he won't even crawl. But at the end of the day, they're all standing upright humans walking around, right? They, they reach that maturity through that kind of iteration process. So I, that's why I would start is it's not about perfection. You don't have to do it all right. The first out of the gate, uh, there's a lot of opportunity in the cloud to grow and iterate. Um, but with that, there are some models in place. If you like, man, I just need, I need something to grasp onto. And, and there's a few ways to think about that. Uh, one is, hey, I just want to align with best practices. So we we have an entire best practice document for security, which is our security reference architecture. It's a great place to start, really popular. And it is end-to-end. -end. And so that can also be overwhelming, right? But if you're architectural-minded, it, it's a great way to say, okay, this is what good looks like. Uh, but if you're a little bit more security minded and you're like, I just want to drive down risk. Tell me the first things I do. Uh, the security maturity model is another great model to start with and look at, okay, these are the first things I do. These are the easy, quick wins. Um, but that's kind of the, the chipping away at it piece, right? So you got the big bang, you got chipping away at it. Uh, I really, I really think the fastest way, um, is to try to align yourself to your business. It, it's a little painful up front, but it's, and it's a practice we're not always good at as security professionals. But if you can figure out how your security enables business objectives, then it becomes a much easier story as you feed it up the chain, as you ask for funding, as you try to get the training and some of those key components that you really need, right? So instead of saying, Hey, I want to put up a bunch of guardrails and SCPs and people are like, what, what are you talking about? Right. You might as well be speaking Greek Yeah. to be able to go to your business and say, Hey, I want to build a set of guardrails around an account so that developers can quickly develop and innovate without creating risk for the organization. Well, as a CIO of CSO, I can go, Oh, well, I can, I can buy into that. Or I want to implement an IAM strategy that allows instant provisioning and access but still creates an isolated environment where they can't impact other business production workloads. You know, those are things that a CIO or CSO, your board of directors can, can grab onto and go, yeah, I understand why I'm investing in this. If you say, I want to build IAM or I want to build guardrails, you, you might as well just be speaking a different language, right? So some of it is learning to talk the language and sell it. And that's going to allow you to tackle bigger pieces. It's a, and go after kind of a, a more foundational structures. We kind of define five foundational pillars in our practice that are the first five pillars you should tackle when you're trying to tackle cloud security. What, so, what are those? What yeah. are those five pillars? I'm curious. So IAM is the first one, um, and so foundational that it, uh, IAM really is a key component of your edge in the cloud, right? And and that is, I think that's becoming true throughout all of IT. Um, but it, everything accelerates in the cloud with security, right? And so IAM has rushed to the front, right? Um, threat detection is another one that we push. Uh, understanding how to get your threat detection in the cloud, it's different, right? You don't just put, I mean, you can't, there's lots of designs, but 
you don't just put a firewall and, and call it good, right? You push everything through a firewall. There, th there's a little bit more caveats to it than that. And so understanding, hey, how do I get my threat information? Where does that get collected? Where does it go? And then right after that is your incident response, right? How do I get that threat detection into a SIM, into my SOC, into my processes? And then how do I do investigations? So the third pillar is kind of that incident response. The next piece is unique to the cloud, in my opinion. Um, data protection is something that's really challenging to do on site, right? Um, go to the Oracle database admin and ask them if you can encrypt the database, if you don't believe <laughs> me, right? I mean, the, the, the cost and complexity of some of the data protection strategies on premise are, are pretty high, right? Yeah. And the risk return is probably not worth the cost. That all shifts in the cloud. Right. And so data protection becomes one of your front end strategies. Uh, in fact, I, we just announced last week, right, by default, your S3 buckets are going to be encrypted with AES 256. So no cost and no performance impact of encryption. It's an easy, easy win. And it's a tool in our tool belt we're not used to using as security uh, professionals. So that's a that's a huge one really valuable i think to really start thinking through um that that data protection element um and then the last piece kind of lands this is where every security person wants to start with the infrastructure protections right <laughs> yeah. where do i throw my WAF? where do i throw my firewall um but in the infrastructure and, and we're actually even growing and iterating with our customers we, we currently have things like uh, DevOps embedded in that, right? And building a pipeline. So you're going to see some of that come out. Some of our application security, WAF, is embedded in that. You're going to see us start to iterate and, and separate that out. Um, but so there's, and container security is another piece that it falls in that. So that infrastructure piece has grown quite a bit. And we're, we're going to continue to tease out, iterate as the industry grows and, and customers grow. But that's, that's the fifth and somewhat fat pillar. Um, I am in that pillar, kind of the fat pillars that squeeze everything in. But uh, those are those are the the five steps we take or pillars that we kind of take from mentality, and that that aligns all the way back to cloud adoption framework and some of the reference architectures that your CTO or your your cloud architect is using. So it mm -hmm. helps create that common language and that common flow through. Uh, so we do a lot to try to help culture and organizations align in some of their communications as they build out the cloud too, because that is often one of the pain points. It is. I always tell people that, you know, m moving to the cloud, which many, most organizations are, are already there or they're in some kind of process of it. Um, so much of it is just, it is more philosophy and more people than just anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen that more than probably, probably more than most people. Yes. Yeah, people, process, and technology, it, it, it's like everything in the cloud, it's all more extreme, so to speak. Like, you really have to get all three of those pillars moving together. Um, and, and that is where it breaks. The, the technology isn't actually the hard part of the cloud, in my opinion. Prisma Cloud secures infrastructure, applications, data, and entitlements across the world's largest clouds, all from a single unified solution. With a combination of cloud service provider APIs and a unified agent framework, users gain unmatched visibility and protection. 
Prisma Cloud also integrates with any continuous integration and continuous delivery workflow to secure cloud infrastructure and applications early in development. You can scan infrastructure as code templates, container images, serverless functions, and more while gaining powerful, full-stack runtime protection. This is unified security for DevOps and security teams. To find out more, go to prismacloud.io. So what story um, can you tell us or stories in terms of you know cloud security gone wrong and maybe what was the root cause, right? Was it, was it lack of budget? Uh, obviously, you know, get in details and be as specific as you can be because part of what it is is, you know, I think our listeners are always just, yes, people are fascinated by train wrecks, but um, they want to know like, what was it? And I think a lot of times people just assume it's always, it's budget. There's a lack of budget. That's probably what it was. What, what's, what's your side of it? Yeah, it's, it's rarely budget. Um, so I, I think that's a good call out that we often, and I, I kind of have three phrases that, that tend to come out in the uh, process of a train wreck. Right. Um, the first usually starts out with something like we are a dev friendly culture. Like we, we give everyone admin, we trust everyone. That's how we grow. That's how we innovate and, uh, growing, innovating, scaling. Those are all things that hit home with AWS, right? We love development and all that, but understanding how to shift from we're a dev friendly culture to hey, we know how to build a foundation with appropriate guardrails so that we can grow and experiment in, in a safe containerized way, right? And we understand the purpose of having tiered accounts. And, and this is something that's always been hard on site, right? Yeah. To have a test, a dev, a UAT, and a production. Yeah. Uh, that gets a lot simpler in the cloud, right? One of the, again, another one of those security paradigms we've struggled with because of cost. A lot of that, disappears in some of the ways you use cloud when you're paying as you go you're not paying to manage an entire server in infrastructure just for test you spin it up you test it you spin it back down right um maybe you don't even need serverless and you're doing serverless right and you have a, a lot of just pay as you go and so now you're just paying for the testing that return on investment becomes a lot more meaningful than this giant sunk investment so that that's the first shift that we look for. And that's kind of the first pothole in, in that aligns obviously strongly to some of that IAM culture as well with that pillar is uh, understanding that a deaf friendly culture doesn't mean we're all admin and we all use root keys and you know, <laughs> everything's fast and easy, right? So you make it fast and easy, but you, you put guardrails around it to make sure that people don't hurt themselves or anything. It's like trying to roller skate on the edge of a cliff, but probably not advised, right? You're, you're eventually going to make the mistake. So you put up the guardrails and the protection. So the next thing is that usually leads, and this was actually how I smashed myself into the cloud was we're just going to replicate what we do on premise. Um, from a security standpoint, this is so attractive, right? You've already built in your flows right? You know, your IRT process works, you know, how your logs flow, you know, how these tools will report, you know, how to, how to parse them and how to assess them, right? It, it's so much simpler and you know how those controls align to your compliance and your frameworks. So I totally get that, that beautiful idea that, yeah, we're just going to replicate what we do on premise. 
Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, right? And so that's that's the second the second phrase we hear that usually says, "Oh boy, we have a train wreck coming." And and it's not that all tools don't translate. Some tools translate really well. Some really right. don't. And sometimes the mental aspect of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to figure all this out. We make bigger than it needs to be. The cloud is so flexible and adoptable. You can change a lot of things to fit easier than you can with your traditional infrastructure, right? You can't manipulate your firewall very much. You could pretty much manipulate everything in AWS from a code standpoint, right? And so understanding that there are a lot of things set up and you're not the first customer running into it, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of quick, easy wins. It's just overwhelming in that first grasp. So being able to sit down and really do a thoughtful assessment, understand, hey, these native tools are going to be faster to implement. They're going to be updated quicker. They're going to be more meaningful than trying to drag an on-premise tool into the cloud that doesn't really know how to work or function there, or maybe even in my case, disabled some of the functionality of the cloud in the early days, right? So again, and that's part of aligning with that business objective, understanding that, hey, if I move this security tool into the cloud or these set of controls, I'm going to be working against the business objective. You're going to end up losing that battle and you're going to waste mm -hmm. a lot of time. And that, that's a personal stub toe of mine, right? When I, I've early in early 2000s tried to move to the cloud. So um, the the third one is, oh, we created a cloud team. So don't we don't need to upskill the organization or change the culture. So if you create a cloud culture team and you throw them over on the side and they're out of IT or a subset of IT, that doesn't usually work, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially from a security standpoint. Incident response, you want to do an incident response. So does that go to a cloud guy? Is that cloud guy trained on incident response? Does he have access to any of the SOC tools or SIM? Does he really have, does he understand what to do if it's calling inside? What if inside's calling it, right? You start, if you break that, you kind of break everything. So it's so much harder. And this kind of touches on that people process technology pain point you were talking about. Figuring out how to integrate cloud into your operational processes and technology is so key versus we'll just create it on the side. Um, yeah. Did you just create power bubbles and struggles and gaps? And the reality is if, if I'm a Palo Alto firewall engineer, I want to know how to run my firewalls here, but I also want to understand how the firewalls in the cloud, right? And I want to understand how that data flows through my panorama. I want to understand how that goes to the SOC. So breaking that apart, you, you break all that intelligence, right? And and now you, you've created a bunch of disconnects from your organization. So uh, definitely something we try to avoid is that that you're the cloud team and, and you're completely different and we're going to have a three-week change management process and you're going to be working in the cloud. Those two things don't really work together, right? Kind of the old school change management in the, in the cloud. So there's a lot of those pieces that we run into. So the, the perfect disaster is, hey, we've got a friendly, dev-friendly culture. Don't worry about it. Give everybody access. We're just going to replicate what we do on-premise because we want the easy button. And we're just going to isolate that team because that just sounds simpler. And 
they're going to function separately and they'll be the cloud team. When we hear those three in combination, that usually equals the customer that's in for a lot of pain and struggling. And the reality is they end up having to reverse all those stances before they're successful. Mm. Uh, I've seen, I've seen all three of those. So I can, <laughs> I can attest that those are, those are all real. The, the last one though, like having a cloud specific team, I want to double click on that a little bit, just cause I have seen that at a number of organizations where, you know, and this, and most of this was probably in the last three to five years. Uh, I haven't seen too much of it recently, but what I saw a lot of is, is they would, they would launch some kind of, you know, cloud center of excellence, some kind of COE right around cloud, because usually it was a, uh, this was a, you know, usually this was in organizations that were pretty large that have a very, very massive on-premise footprint, maybe lots of legacy apps. And they've got challenges with, you know, culture change, right? Anytime mm-hmm. there's something as big as cloud, even though cloud is not new. And I've seen them create the cloud center of excellence where they take, you know, a number of people from IT, you know, some people from security, maybe somebody from legal, and they essentially create this mini company. And, you know, they try to get cloud to, and they try to mix cloud in there and they try to do things that way. What specifically, I guess, about that is like, what, why doesn't that approach work? What have you, what have you seen? Like, what, why doesn't it work? I mean, it sounds good on paper, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great birth, right? It's you're the baby you're learning to crawl. That's a great way to learn to crawl. The problem is, is if you don't have a plan to exit that phase and integrate into the organization, the it, then it eventually breaks, right? You eventually get big enough and you're doing complex enough stuff that you can't rely on a single security person to be your bridge. And I'll take the security because that's where I live most of the time, right? That core security person cannot be the bridge to compliance, to security, to incident response, to managing all those things, right? In fact, most of the times they don't even have the access to the correct systems anymore on the security side that they had. And so now you've got this broken parallel, but we see it all through the organization, right? You don't want a cloud database team and an on-site database team and them not understanding. You don't want a storage team in both. You You don't want all these teams in a permanent state of disjunction, right? And so... Uh, I think that's a, a good best practice for birthing something, but that can't be your end goal or you'll eventually get stuck. Um, and you'll eventually actually isolate the, to answer your question, the end result is the cloud team gets further and further isolated from corporate IT. And the further isolated they get, the less valuable they become. Hmm. And you end up with this orphaned organization um, that's considered not successful because they're not, they're not integrated into the day-to-day processes. They'll struggle with compliance. They struggle with incident response. Uh, they struggle with the basic hygiene walking and tackling because those people are all, all that knowledge is still sitting over in your organization and you haven't upskilled them to be able to bring that cloud. So one of the things that I, I've, I've been asked about, I'm curious if you've worked with this is just we talked a little bit about cloud security maturity. Um, one of the things that I have been curious about is just what have you seen work well in terms of rolling that up from, let's say, if there's a, a cloud security team, rolling that up through the CISO, enabling the CISO to be able to report that then at the board level. What have you seen work work well in terms of reporting out that maturity? Yeah, I, w- I guess I would start 
if you have the CISO, you, you have one of the key, key cloud stakeholders that's often left out of the equation. Um, that, that really is one of the key successes to, to cloud implementation is having your CISO on board and having that, uh, top down direction. Right. And so, uh, as far as a CISO reporting up the infrastructure, again, I think some of the business objectives are really key to defining how you're enabling the business, right? And so that security is not viewed as a blocker, but in viewed as an enabler, but also being able to communicate, there are costs associated. You know, sometimes we get in the cloud is cheaper. The cloud isn't cheaper because you don't do security. The cloud is cheaper because you you leverage some of the scalability and benefits and and only charge for what you pay for kind of things. It's, it's not because you ignore the function. So understanding that, bringing the security along and helping understand, hey, these are the security pieces that go and play with this kind of enablement and being able to have that talking point. Um, but absolutely, some of the other traditional means that we've always communicated as CISOs, right? Uh, aligning to CIS or NIST, if those are your internal controls, um, if not using AWS best practice, foundational best practices, uh, and all those can be collected and reported up through uh, Security Hub, which is a AWS Security Hub cloud native tool. But there's also other tools out there that do that, right? And the one thing about the cloud is everything happens faster in the cloud than it does on-premise, right? And so- That's for sure. If you're not, a native tool, you, you have to be a tool that can respond, you know, you need minutes to your updates, right? It needs to be measured in minutes, not hours or days, right? In order to stay in front of that and keep that data relevant. And it needs to be an active automated tool. Uh, but you absolutely can use that tool to help um, understand your risk. But one of the other things that I love about that is then using and this kind of goes to the board reporting too, but starting to funnel down some of that uh, and shift it left to the DevOps. Um, whether that's removing all the people from your, your environment and forcing everything to go through pipelines and running uh, co-testing tools and linters where you can show, hey, I'm looking at libraries, I'm looking at dependencies and, and ensuring that I'm not injecting code or having code injected into my environment. And removing people out of the environment, doing some of those things, and, and those those become our, our traditional funnel points, right? If you if you can funnel everything through a pipeline, that's a great place to collect metrics from a security standpoint. Um, but also, well, I'll use Security Hub as an example, but there are other tools that do this. If you enable Security Hub centrally, all the reporting flows up to a central dashboard that gives you access across all your AWS. Hmm. Um, which is the big sell point that everybody gets excited about. But as professional services, what we get excited about is it also pushes it down. Hmm. So now I can say, hey, you know what? You own this dev account. Check your security hub dashboard every week. And it's going to tell you, hey, that last push from that I did just created seven vulnerabilities. And you can begin to educate developers on, because right, developers want to work right good code too. You know, we don't give them enough credit as security people, <laughs> um, but they want to write good code too. So if they have a meaningful feedback loop and mechanism that they understand, whether that's 
static code testing or whether that's more dynamic testing or cloud posture management that they can go look at, click through and say, oh, okay, I, I understand. I probably shouldn't print out to terminal everywhere, right? <laughs> you know, go, that makes sense, I guess. I was doing that in dev. I didn't think about taking that for production. I could take that out, right? Those kind of educational opportunities upskill your your dev team, but they also can help you catch a lot of those behaviors earlier on. Um, so that's another really powerful metric, though, is to show, hey, not only did our security posture get better, but that security posture is dynamic and we're catching those and shifting those left. And so as a CISO, you want to be able to show, hey, I'm upskilling our workforce. I'm helping change the culture. I'm I'm reaching outside my security practice and helping developers or helping other teams um, drive some of those security practices and skills and in deeper into their groups. I love that. That's great feedback. Now, Obviously, anybody who's working at AWS, I mean, things are moving fast. You guys are known for being uh, constantly innovating, never standing still. It's always day one, right? I think is something that uh, Jeff Bezos has said in the past. So for you, Chad, when it comes to personal growth, you know, staying on top of what's happening, staying sharp, what's the formula that works for you? Oh, that's that's good. I, I would say... Uh, that, like I said, AWS culture was a good overlay for the way I like to function. And so a lot of these things have been practices throughout my security um, and professional growth. Uh, one, I, I still always put family first. And so sometimes there's this idea that to grow fast, you have to, you have to sacrifice that work-life balance. And um, I often challenge that even with my own people. Uh, I really believe the key to growing fast is to ruthlessly prioritize and understand that your time is the most valuable asset um, and ask your boss to prioritize for you. And some of that comes down to, there's a few things that comes down to one, uh, you have to know what your superpower is. You got to figure out where you can contribute in a way that is unique that m most others can't. Right. And so we do a lot to try to discover, Hey, what is your strength? Right. You don't want a toolbox full of hammers, right? You want a hammer, you want a screwdriver, you want all these different tools. So instead of trying to trying to be what other people are, figure out what is your unique contribution. Um, and then you're not trying to work millions of hours to be somebody else, right? Right. Uh, another thing is automate, automate, automate. If, if you're doing a task that you can automate, Spend three hours to automate a 15-minute task because if you're doing that 15-minute task every week, that payoff is a lot faster than you think it is, right? Um, not to mention you can then usually scale that out to other people. Another thing I often do is mentoring. If, if you're doing a task and you've mastered that task to the point that it's boring, you shouldn't be doing that task anymore. Hmm. You now have knowledge of how to to master that task. You should be training someone else who's dying for an opportunity to do the task that you did this boring you. And one, they'll put more time into it, but two, they'll probably have new ideas and insight to improve it. And three, they'll probably take it over for you because they're excited for the opportunity. So don't waste your time doing something you could upscale somebody else and give them a new opportunity for. And then the very last is I, I strongly believe in the red blue mentality. Um, 
if you only know how to build firewalls or WAFs or uh, antivirus or whatever our, our latest endpoint security is, you, you're missing the puzzle. You're not understanding some of the value of what you're doing. You, you should know what the other side of this. And I have to, I have to say, I, I, I'm just stealing from Ed Scotus on this. I was trained in the early days of SANS. I believe every security person should be able to run the common set of, of red tools, pen test tools, drop into their console, whether that's AWS or whether it's your firewall or whether it's your endpoint, know what those tools look like, know what they're doing and, and know how that works. So knowing both sides of those equations, um, and, and this is why I like people to come off socks a lot of times because they have that insight, but you've got to know how to work both sides of the equation or you're, you're really missing some important insights that you should have. So those are my, my keys to success. Any parting words for our listeners, or maybe perhaps anything that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you about? I think mainly just, uh, as a, a industry, as a security industry, as we grow and mature, I mean, I, I, I grew up with .com and put everyone on the, the internet and then started getting phone calls if their stuff was being hacked and rolled out some of the first firewalls in Southern Colorado. Right. And it just kind of grew from there. So I've been in the security industry as long as you can without carrying a gun or running around with a floppy disk, right. To the main <laughs> things, but the, our industry continues to mature. We're trying to bring on new people. We're trying to figure out how to address this gap. And I really believe we need to be mentoring people, uh, but we also need to just be compassionate with each other, right? This is a hard industry. Um, it has a high burnout. It's challenging and, and we need to be there to support people. And, and I just, I hope our security continue, community continues to grow, accept um, more and more diversity and also accept, you know, that we're all going to make mistakes in this and, and look for ways to help each other, not, not to dogpile on everybody when they make a mistake. Cause I can guarantee you I've made my share of them. And unfortunately my name hasn't ended up in newspapers next to them, but, uh, it's a hard industry and we're all learning and we're all iterating together. And I think we just need to create a new environment in our security industry. That's a little bit more positive than some of the directions we've taken in the past. Well, Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really, I've enjoyed the conversation and especially probably the, you know, I love talking the technical pieces, but I love hearing kind of the personal things at the end. So thanks for sharing those things with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciated the opportunity. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. To find out more, please visit us at cloudsecuritytoday.com. 